0: we
1: We are back folks here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side and joining us to reflect upon this championship run. This, this run where Michigan overcame every obstacle, every adversity, every challenge issued them as a program. They met and overcame. To reflect upon that, the MGO Blog Roundtable crew, who I'm sure is just like me, nothing you can say or do can bring them down at this point. Starting off with the man that started it all, the MGO Blog, Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning?
2: That's true. Nothing can bring me down, Sam, but Spirit Airlines tried. <laughs>
3: That's what you get for flying Spirit Airlines. I know. I know. You don't have to tell me. I know. <laughs> Not trying to say. I told you so. <laughs> 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 Sam, Sam's Sam's losing it already.
0: <laughs> we only we're this far in unless we're already into laughing head. Sorry, sorry about that. Sorry.
1: I don't I'm not a fan of spirit either. All right. Seth Fisher, how are you this morning?
3: Oh man, I took Delta, so I'm just great. <laughs> All right. And Craig Ross, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh I wanna shout out my friend Dane Myers in Austin who at the last second had a ticket for me. And my wife figured out how I could get to Houston through about 28 different plane flights. Uh, my experience was a little better than Brian's, uh, but still, uh, it was great. So, and I ended up driving between Austin and Houston, and then flying various places to get to and from uh, Metro. But it was great, and I sat. We sat in a section at the at the stadium with the craziest, loudest. Michigan fans I've ever seen. I mean, they made you feel guilty if you weren't screaming at the top of your lungs every time Washington had the ball. So I've got ear ringing My people. still. Yeah, these were some great fans. I mean, I have to tell you. And uh, there was one uh, young woman in particular. I thought she was 14, but she said she had a PhD. So I suspect she was, she turned out to be somewhat older than that. And she just was, getting at everyone in the section who wasn't like yelling at every particular moment. And, uh, so it it was great fun. Uh, uh, you know, I I have to give a shout out to Seth who in HTTV predicted Michigan would be 15 and zero this year and win the national championship. So good for you, Seth. I also, I didn't didn't just predict. I didn't just predict. I I guaranteed. You guaranteed it. That's true. It did say it was a guarantee. The second time I've and, guaranteed
0: something and it came true. So Seth two, okay. Jim one. Not that it's a competition or
3: anything, Jim. But if you yeah. want to
0: come back and try to catch <laughs> up, you're welcome to do
3: so. Yeah, yeah. I had also picked Michigan to win the national championship in that publication, but it wasn't a guarantee, and I had it at fourteen and one. Brian Cook, Mister Kiljoy, I don't think picked Michigan to win the national championship.
2: Uh, well. You know, you got to have some diversity in your predictions, or otherwise you're just an Ohio State blog.
3: <laughs> Fair point. Fair point.
2: <laughs> so, here's the
1: thing, guys. As we look at the run, I remember thinking that this Washington matchup, uh, because of the potency of their offense, would be the, the tougher matchup. In retrospect, national championship game probably was the the Alabama game. But both games – Think about this, Brian. I want you to give me your reflections upon the the actual championship game itself. But both games, I felt like, hey, you know what, Michigan clearly was the better, like clearly was the better team. Mistakes were what kept the the Bama game close, and you know Michigan had a lull, and maybe the if they if they punt instead of going for it on fourth down and and put them down, maybe maybe Washington never get, gets up off the mat. But that that was a decisive. Uh, performance as far as I was concerned against Washington.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and it it felt a little bit like the Rose Bowl because that halftime, Michigan was dominating everywhere except the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. You know, it kind of felt like two years ago when Michigan would rack up 300 yards in the first half against Penn State, and they'd be up like 12 to 9 or something like that. And in both games, I was like, we really needed to translate that dominance into more points. And it turned out in both games, I was incorrect. So, (laughs) you know, the kind of remarkable thing about this team is that they didn't play their a game in either, um, playoff game and they still won the national championship. (laughs) Like there were a lot of things that I was just like, Oh, we can't, we can't do this. We can't, this is not how we're going to win. We can't win a national championship doing this. And it turns out Michigan could, uh, that's just how good this team was, and I think everybody from the president of the NCAA on down knows that that is the fact. Is that this was the team this year? This was not a fluke. This is not undeserved. This was not anything except Michigan being the best team in the country and deservedly winning a national championship.
3: Yeah, I I agree. The one you know, the one thing on the season that ended up being sort of perverse. In a very and in a very positive way, was that Tony Petiti in particular and the Big Ten, uh, and and to some extent the NCAA really brought the Michigan fan base together. I mean, usually I feel like the Michigan fan base is a you know is like herding cats. Not this year, and it wasn't just the winning. I think it was the winning with uh, all of the events of the year. You know, hamburger, lying about hamburger, supposedly, uh, you know, sign stealing, Connor Stallions, uh, all of which was meaningless. Uh, and yet the fact that the, somehow there was a public perception or a public jealousy, at least in the Big Ten, about these elements really pulled the fan base together. And so they, cre- I think uh, they created a sense of community that, you know, wasn't quite as strong and and it, it's one of the to me very interesting things of the season i i think that's a great point
0: that like when you're under attack you have to pick a side and when you pick a side mm-hmm. you have to you know michigan all the michigan fans that we're we're going to do what's good for michigan and we've seen it on multiple fronts including on the nil front that you know you saw in the last week the program just kind of getting its act together and <laughs> you know they they've been making a big push on that front the uh we spoke at the alumni tailgate and you know the the energy in there was just incredible like i've never seen 8000 people all on the same page before unless they're like at a political rally and i tried to avoid those things right it's uh, it, we we have we already had a community but i think that going through that piece um just got this fan base just so together on on everything else, and it's not hard with these players, right? When it comes down to it, you look at this team, and mm-hmm. like these guys, and you just look at them, and like you know, these, there's, they're, they're very easy to root for. They're very, cool. it, they do very much every, in every way you could possibly define it. These guys deserved. A national championship and what's so great about that is that when you come home and you're wearing your Michigan gear to drop off your kids at school and you see this, the, your first party <clears throat> after all this venture and they say oh yeah you know it's tainted you never have to worry about any opinion from anyone who thinks that this was tainted ever again that person they're never going to have anything to say about football that you ever need to care about they have proven it we've won the national championship and that's it that's final.
1: No, Brian, you um, – and I think all you guys maybe were, were talking about Donovan Edwards and how he could m- maybe be uh, – usage more in the past game or just usage, usage period. But it, it it's fitting to me uh, with Seth's last point about, man, the, the guys on this team. But well, that was a dude who was admittedly frustrated. He, he talked about what, what his goals were this season. And then Blake came back, and he was honest about how he knew that was maybe going to affect things. And then he didn't play up to the, the level that he knows he's capable of playing and never made it an issue, kind of like Trente,
0: Never made it an issue. These dudes just – Wait, wait. One time, one time, Sam, one time, because he got up and he wanted to run a fourth down touchdown, he was getting everybody up there. I remember the – what was it? Uh, it was one of the early games, Rutgers or something. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Michigan has to go. Dono, no, no. Dono, come off the field, and he scored later in that game, and everyone was excited. But, but, but Yeah. Okay, so there was a, a play where he he had
1: run him down to the one yard, and he yeah. was to punch it in. Yeah, right. yeah. Now, that, that's not the same as being a being an issue for the team, making his lack of individual success be a problem for the team. That never happened, and so then it rolls around to the championship game. He even said he saw a therapist about it. About <laughs> hey, how do I manage? what were my goals and my goals have become pressure. How do I manage that? And at the same time, still be there for my team, leaning on his faith, all of that coming together. And then you get in the championship game and he has that kind of performance where the first two big plays of the game were him with the kind of touchdowns we saw him have at, uh, I Ohio State last year.
2: Yeah. And <clears throat> he – Was out there on a second and fourteen. The Michigan's I just run the ball, (laughs) (laughs) and it reminded me of the Penn State game where he runs into the back of his lineman for a minute and then cuts out to the other side. And a lot of people are like, "Oh, I didn't see the hole." But like, if it works, it works. You know, there there are three instances in this season, big plays for Donovan Edwards, where it takes him a minute. To actually pop out, and that sucks in safeties, it sucks in linebackers. The the second one was decisive. Like he knew exactly what he was doing on the second one. But even if you it takes you a minute to get to the spot that you have to get, when you get to it, if you're Donovan Edwards, that's ball game. That's it's over. So both of those touchdowns were reminiscent of the Ohio State touchdowns a year ago, because as soon as he broke into the open field, there was absolutely no question how that play was ending. It was ending in the end zone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: I thought I thought I thought the the first touchdown was an instance of him just I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do on this play. I'm, I'm pressing the A gap. <laughs> yep. And, that, damn, yep. It, that's <laughs> what I'm gonna do because that's what the play caused me to do. And then it wasn't there. And then it's like, okay, now you pop out. The second one was a duo, and if he get that dude can run a duo. <laughs> i all these. Dudes. Blake's was a big play was a duo too, and dude, linebacker was sucked inside. Boom. He cut it out and it was canceled.
2: That linebacker wasn't sucked inside. He was sucked out of the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like the worst attempt to fit duo I've ever seen. It was oh my God. not
3: good.
1: <laughs> right. it was so he was suboptimal. A, well, he was a
3: very spirited guy.
1: Yeah, those guys, though, Craig, I mean, this I I did a few different pregame shows and I kept talking about Michigan is gonna run the football on this team. Like they haven't, you know, the only reason why Texas didn't run it more is because their coach itches when he can't throw the back, when he's not throwing passes, they should have run a football more. I mean, it was always Michigan was going to run successfully on this team. Now, did I predict 300 yards? No, but I said they were rushed for over 200 yards in this game.
3: And they did. They rushed for over 200 yards in the first 16 minutes of the game, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh And so, yeah, I, I noticed, uh, a lot of Texas fans complaining after the game about uh, sark saying see see that's what we should have done and so you had a lot uh, you know a lot of fans saying uh, that you know or a lot of Texas fans who felt hey we should have been there if we just would have done what what uh, Michigan did and how come our coach isn't as smart as their coaches uh there was a lot of that yesterday or the day before
0: <laughs> It's funny that Donovan Edwards, going back to him real quick, is kind of like you know they, we've heard of a concept of a passing down running back, but that's kind of a guy who like you know gets receives and, and blocks a lot. He's a passing down running back because if it's third and fourteen, and you hand it to him, he's either getting zero or fourteen yards. That's yeah. that's just been Donovan Edwards' thing, and it's because like you know he that first run it was just so Donovan Edwards. He's hitting that a gap. He bounces off a defensive tackle. And because he's so far down there, right? Like, you know, Quorum or or Mullings, they would downshift. They would wait. They'd they'd make sure something opens up and then hit the hole. And Edwards, he just hits that with such verve that the safety comes all the way down. And the tackle from the next direct gap over tries to get over there. And then that's what opens it up. And then everyone's like, it's over there. It's over there. And he goes. And, you know, it's that that ability to uh, get – a home run out of the running game was something that kind of lacked all season. And you know, that's, it's been there. It's just maybe they didn't have those, that, that kind of reaction, but also this running game has been here the whole time. It's just, they played Penn state. They played Ohio state. They played Alabama. They played some of the best defenses in the country. Oh, Iowa. Right? Iowa. Yeah. It's These
2: possible are... that Penn state doesn't belong on that list. Cause Manny's going to Manny. Well, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's uh but I think, we probably should have led with the defense, though, right? Yes. Well, I, yeah.
1: I'm in an order of performance, the order yeah. of play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The defense was
1: the – the star of the game was the defense, <laughs> no doubt. I talked about Donovan first because he obviously came out the gate. But from from the early going, the, the way they impacted Michael Penix, the residual effects from that, it, it it just goes to show you that Jesse Minter is elite, Brian. I mean, he whether it's how he attacks protections, which is phenomenal, to how he varies coverages, which Penix tried to act like, oh well, we you know, all that coverage changing it didn't really affect yes, it did. Yes, it did, yes, it did. They had to make him hold the ball longer than he was accustomed to to holding it, and they did that enough in that game to make a difference in addition to hitting him more than he's been hit this season as well.
2: Yeah. There's kind of a funny Twitter subplot where people are like taking screenshots of various Washington plays and being like, this guy's open. Michigan got lucky just like they did after the Ohio state game, just like they did after the Alabama game. And at (laughs) no point do any of these people think like, is there a reason that the quarterback is looking at the wrong thing? Right? Because Michigan shows people something, and then, then that, that that's not what they get. So they go through one progression, and maybe they get to two progressions. And then, as I said on our podcast yesterday, progression three is Mason Graham. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so Penix is holding the ball, and then it's like, I got to get rid of this at some point. So Michigan was able to make him uncomfortable in ways that Texas did not in ways that a lot of teams were just completely incapable of. And I know guys say things in the aftermath of a, of a heartbreaking loss. I'm not going to hold it against Penix. But mm-hmm. our dude threw 50 times for five yards in an attempt. Michigan turned that guy into Deacon Hill. All right, that's too far. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well,
1: not, not too
2: it's, far.
3: It's oh, no. not too far off, at least statistically.
1: He was 4-11 yeah. on, on passes of over 15 yards. Like that's not, and then the one time, and this was to me the it, it was what told the story was Michigan, the two of the the big plays, what would have been the biggest plays for them, not counting the one that was called back because of the holding, but the one where the guy was uh where Dunze was wide open, Michigan had a bust. They were doing it, they had a check, and I, I don't think Rod got the check. Because, he, you know, you saw Will go cloud and and, and Rob was still covered three. They they caught him. This one time where he, he saw it and he didn't have a rush. He didn't have a rush in his face. And he airmails it. He absolutely airmails it. And it's like, man, that, you talk about affecting a guy. I, I just, that was not something that they were used to, to see him not have the elite ball placement. That we've had all season that they've had all season. And then the, the time, the one big play he got, it couldn't go to a touchdown because Michigan had a bust. They had another switch. This time it was Mikey in. And uh, and I think it was Will. And Mikey understanding that, okay, we got a we got a bust on this play, but he ran it out. He ran it out and still made the tackle and limited the damage. I mean, they're just not used to a, a defense that is as varied, as disciplined. And is as physical as this one. So, well,
0: yeah. I You know, what is Michael Penix as of today? He's a rookie NFL quarterback. And you see rookie NFL quarterbacks have these kinds of games all the time. It, the way to get to a quarterback is get pressure on him. And get pressure on him up the middle. He's got to get out of the pocket. He can't get comfortable. And then he's thinking about that. He's wondering where the pressure's coming from instead of thinking about where his guys are downfield. Now, quarterbacks miss throws downfield all the time. Very good quarterbacks. Mish downfield throws all the time, but they miss them more often when they're thinking about getting hit. You're a human being. Very large human beings want to hit you, and when your, pre- pre- your protection is breaking down, and these guys won the Joe Moore Award. His offensive line won the Joe Moore Award because they were great pass protectors. Now, we thought... Well, they had they yeah. given up 11
2: sacks the whole year. Right. Yeah, Like, they... I mean, they had a couple of holes... But at guard in their pro football focus grading, but those tackles were supposed to be the best of the best. And you know, Pex wasn't under siege like Jalen Milrow was, but he was definitely uncomfortable. And I think part of the uh his uncomfortable the fact that he was uncomfortable was the fact that they were so good at pass production the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Like our dude came up in the fires of Indiana. Right, <laughs> But he, he got the cushy chair, and he's sitting in the cushy chair throwing it to Romo Dunze, and I don't know if he was ready for the smoke because he just hadn't had it any and Or maybe he just had had it brought already. it back. Right? Like, oh, my I guess, God, but, I'm
0: back in Indiana, mean, guys. The, ah!
2: <laughs> the other thing that, that really stood out is that, you know, Romo Dunze entered this game 21-27 on contested catches, and he didn't even get an attempt in this game. In the Texas game, there were a couple plays where Pettix was just like, well, Odunze's down there somewhere, and he just chucked it up, and that worked out for them. I mean, he was getting fade balls and stuff, and Michigan tried to match Will Johnson on him for the majority of the game, but even when Josh Wallace got the matchup and I was waiting for for the dagger, it never came, and Michigan was able to dissuade the best downfield passing team in America from even taking shots. Like they had those two busts, but when they weren't busting, I don't even know I don't think there were more than a couple of attempts downfield, both of which were real, really well defended. So you know, kudos to Minter, kudos to Josh Wallace, everybody in the secondary, like i I gotta admit some like, after the first drive, I was like, why is Keon Sab out there so much? And yeah. then Keon Sab was like, this is why I'm out here, Brian. I'm going to get a pass breakup on Romo Dunze that looks like I've been in the NFL for 10 years. I'm a true sophomore. I have to come back next year. And I'm like, all right, Keon, I see you. Good job. <laughs> so, I mean, the everybody eats philosophy. At some point in the middle of the season, I was like, okay, we're going to tighten up the rotation. We're going to tighten up the rotation. We're going to tighten up the rotation. And in the national championship game, a guy who got five snaps against Alabama is out there making plays against the past best pass offense in America. And, you know, Cam good, who I thought was going to get 10 snaps in the total uh, the totality of the season is rotating out and rotating in. Like it's a line change and there's no drop off when he's in there and on offense, Matt Hibner got in, in the first quarter, like Matt Hidner decided that he was going to take a red shirt this year, so he could transfer somewhere else and play his final year someplace where he could get on the field for 500 snaps. And in the national championship game, Michigan is like everybody eats Matt Hidner get out there, and I just can't. Everything worked. It all worked. It like <laughs> the, the, there were frustrating moments and. Everything was sad, uh, sad when Michigan couldn't translate their first half into more than a touchdown lead at halftime. But just in terms of what this program attempted to do with the portal, with their massive amount of rotation, with their attitude towards coming back, with their philosophy on defense, with their philosophy on offense, all of it came together to make Michigan probably the best Michigan team of all time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that. I'm not sure this is the best Michigan team of all time. Uh it's hard to look at nineteen oh one or nineteen oh two and I'm unclear about nineteen forty eight because I I was alive, but I didn't actually see
0: those <laughs> I was <teams>. alive.
3: <laughs> uh but yeah, there you go. I'm pretty sure of this since my cognition of Michigan football, which probably goes to the 1953 or four, uh, this is the best team I've seen. Uh, and I would be surprised to be honest, if this wasn't the best Michigan team of all time. Uh, and uh, it really was a remarkable year. One thing, uh, and Brian gets a major shout out for this, is he's been yammering all year, rightfully so, about Trent A. Jones. And our best offensive lineman Zach Zinner goes down, and I think the right side of the offensive line got better uh, because you got Barnhart into a better position, and Trente came in and did it. Uh, and and so I I was really impressed by by what Michigan did uh, in, on in the offensive line, and I was very impressed uh, that Brian saw this all along, and I. You know, on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, the Cam Good thing is really, I mean, the coaching, uh, you know, on on that side of the ball was just spectacular. And uh, the fact that they said, okay, we got lots of guys to play and we're going to play them. And... It you know as Brian said and Seth has said it all. Just I had an
0: extra hot take from yesterday. I didn't get mm-hmm. to use that we were going to put on the okay. podcast for our our, yeah. our segment where we all hot takes each other. But it was that uh, it's more important to get Jesse Minter back next year than Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: I just want him in the state of Michigan. If it's going to be a battle for Jesse Minter, then Michigan better this because I, I look. If Jim's back, I think they got a, they got a, a real shot. At keeping Jesse Minter here mm-hmm. if Jim goes they need to be opening up to uh, making him the highest paid defensive coordinator in the country if that doesn't work the lions better come get him <laughs> but he needs yeah. to be and say he that dude is the real deal mm-hmm. I, I talked to mike elston about said you know mike i i just get the feeling no matter what kind of front you face you know what? 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 The Joe Moore war winning line is—he is, just finds a way to find holes in whatever protection plan or scheme the opposition has. Not talking about necessarily players, but protections. But in this game, it was about a, a matchup that you knew beforehand all week. We talked about they're going to eat this center alive. They're going to—they're going to literally kill this dude in a football sense. And it worked out that way. That matchup was never going to hold up. Brian, I mean, he got he got manhandled in there, and they really didn't have an answer for that.
2: Well, I mean, we, I also talked about this on the podcast that that there's been a lot made about how Michigan doesn't have the talent level that national champions usually have, and that's not true. Right. What's true is that the recruiting industry did an exceptionally bad job of evaluating Michigan's roster because what does a five star do? A five star should have the kind of trajectory that Will Johnson has, right? Back half of your freshman year, you emerge into a contributor, and then you're a lead as a sophomore. Well, look at this sophomore class. It's got Colson Loveland in it. It's got Kenneth Grant. It's got Mason Graham. By the way, those those two guys uh, are the number one and number three players in the country in terms of second-year defensive tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. Dion Walker is the only guy in the stratosphere. Those guys are all five stars. And it's not Michigan's fault that the recruiting industry didn't see it. So these guys do have the talent. They are that good. And uh, this is, I think you can make the argument that Rod Moore is in the same boat because he was starting as a freshman against Ohio State and that worked up just fine. Like this team is incredibly talented. And I've seen some stuff online where it's like, ah, this isn't like Georgia or Alabama. This isn't like a real <laughs> champion. And I'm like, Uh, one I don't care and two (laughs) just incorrect it is incorrect
1: you know I think it goes even a level beyond the recruiting industry it it, look they did a better coaching job than the majority of college football because uh, the the west coast schools passed on mason Graham. they didn't go USC and all those you know all the big timers out on on that side of the country Washington even none of those schools went on Mason Graham early
3: and he's from California and you need to know
1: you see yeah. they didn't go on on Mason Graham early they didn't go on Mason Graham until Michigan came in and, t- and stole him from Boise State mm-hmm. right and then mm-hmm. Kenneth Grant wasn't this heavily recruited guy I mean Ohio State they Ohio State did jump on him but he wasn't he didn't he didn't have the monsters of the Midway chasing him he had Illinois and schools like that. And then Michigan obviously prioritized them. Ohio State did too. They eventually got on board as well. But it wasn't just the recruiting industry missing. Obviously, Ohio State never went on Rod Moore. Mm-hmm. So you had other programs missing on guys right in their footprint. And Michigan, their scouting department, was able to see things that even college other college coaches didn't see.
3: Yeah, I mean, Seth and I had a long conversation about this yesterday and are talking about writing an article uh, about this. Uh, I mean, there's a few things. One, Alabama has more five stars in its program than the entire Big Ten. Uh, two, uh, I think Michigan has one five star on their roster. Two. Uh, who's the second? JJ. He was not. I looked back. Uh. What? What?
0: Well, no. it depends if you're talking about composite or yeah. you're talking about somebody's yeah. yeah.
3: rankings. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, they, they, yeah. they were five-star at one point, and then they take a star. Yeah. Away kind of thing,
0: so.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, he didn't finish as a five-star, at least by, by my research. I went back and looked. and uh, He's a five-star on the composite because he's the 25th overall guy, but he was 38th yeah. 247. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and so, but, yeah, I 100% agree with Brian that Michigan had – better football players than Alabama. They had better football players than Washington. They were better coached than both of those teams. Uh, And, and, uh, and so I, you know, I think something I've tried to say uh, for a long time on this show and elsewhere is that you can, you don't need five-star guys to win. You need, you need to evaluate who you're recruiting, you need to see who has a ceiling, you need to see who fits into your system, and you need to and you need to develop those guys. You know, the classic and has been Hassan Haskins. Uh, he was outside of the top thousand. Yeah. And I so everyone I saw Michigan fans complaining about Hassan Haskins. You know, why are we recruiting this guy? Why are we giving a scholarship to this guy? Yeah. Well yeah. look at the tape. The guy was a brute he was playing defensive end on defense, you know, no one tackled him, Uh, you know, his offensive line stunk and he was still, you know, grinding out yards. And so it isn't just the stars. I'm not saying stars are irrelevant, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. It's you know, can you find who can actually play? And if you look at the NFL draft, they're not all five stars. There's a lot of two stars, three stars going in the first two rounds. You just need to find those guys and develop them. And Michigan has done that. Congratulations to this coaching staff.
1: You don't need to get the number of five stars that Bama gets mm-hmm. or Georgia gets. It's great if you can't. Or did. Ohio State, you got to get a few and develop the rest. And that's, Donovan was a five star.
3: Yeah, uh, Donovan might have been. Yeah, you great. gotta
1: you gotta get a few of those guys, and then be great at scouting, great at developing, great at coaching. If you can do those things, then you don't have to live in a swimming in the all five star pool. And Michigan has that formula pretty well, pretty well down. Because uh, I mean, this these are the two best. This is the best Michigan team ever. Like I, I didn't, I don't know about the 1901 or 1902 <laughs> or 1948. I mean, Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that yeah. they, they didn't have to face the kind of talent, the kind of competition that this Michigan team has had. The parity is much greater. The circumstances that you have to coach through with NIL and the portal and all that, this makes this the most challenging era of college football in the history of college football. And Michigan, even with more extenuating circumstances, without their head coach, with the quarterback, banged up beyond belief down the stretch, they come out and they run through an absolute gauntlet and, and win a national go 15 and zero and win the last two games. Basically, they, they dominate. I mean, that, that's this the best team they've ever we've ever seen here.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't argue that. Other one. than John
0: Crick, I think I'm in a, in a pretty good shape to, to talk about this. Crick would probably, you know, is the guy to answer this question. But the thing about those 1901, 1902, Yost needed 11 guys to make that happen. Right, mm-hmm. I I think that back then people would people said, oh, the the West is not as strong as the East, and you didn't fight any East teams because they wouldn't play them. Um, but like, and they dominated on a level that we're not seeing here. But it's hard to tell. It's like running through the Mac and winning a hundred to nothing every single game. Like, how good are yeah. you? Right, the uh, the forty eight team is just. That was just weird. Post-war, Michigan just had all the guys from the war, all the guys who went to the war, all the guys who came during the war, all the guys they stole from other teams during the war, and other teams were still kind of coming back because they shut down during the war. So it was just a very strange season. It's kind of hard to compare. The 40, the the 47 team and the 48 well, team are both yeah. kind of like in that weird realm right there. Uh, but like Michigan's had teams – before, I think during the Bow area, we had a couple teams that were this good, but they didn't get it done. They they tripped up somewhere. They just, they they came into the season the best team in the country, but they just missed in one little spot, had one game that they, that they couldn't, had one two-point conversion that they couldn't convert in 64. There were times like that. This team, the adversity that they had to go over, the, the NCAA and the Big Ten came for their coach, and they... <sighs> You know, they face teams that just focus on them all season, right? Like, they are the bread-letter game for every single team they face. And they, they have to go through an Alabama machine. Teams don't recruit, historically, teams don't recruit the way Alabama recruits. That's a historical anomaly based off of the system that we had where there were only four teams that could get in the playoffs. And to go through a team like that and then and Washington, I mean Penix and that team was that was a great team. You don't face bad teams in the playoffs. But Michigan was the team. Unless you play in Michigan face. State. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't get a Michigan State or another Notre Dame in the uh in the playoff, right? They they got <clears throat> They got this. This is a real team, but Michigan was the absolute worst team for Washington to face. Washington is a pro-style passing game, and it used to be. Remember that 2019 <laughs> season where like everyone looked around. We talked about this on our podcast, and like you said, okay, if you don't have a pro quarterback, you can't win a national championship. That's what it takes to win these days. And It turns out having a pro defense against the pass is just as strong. And I think when you look at this, what this Michigan team had that was just out of this world. You look at the Georgia team that had like the, the Philadelphia Eagles on it. right? You had you know look at all these teams that had something that made them absolutely great. What made this team great was they had an NFL passing defense. And I bet you in 10 years you're going to look at all these guys in the NFL and say, man, can you believe Rod Moore and Will Johnson were in the same secondary? It's insane.
1: Yeah, we need to get to a break. We'll yeah. be back on the other side. More MGO Blog Roundtable here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050. WTK, the ticket.
3: So is it true that Mason Graham is being represented by Drew Rosenhaus now, and does it, and doesn't that seem to imply that people are coming after him to transfer?
1: Well, I, I don't know that, that, uh, that necessarily is the the case. Um, I don't know. I hadn't checked on that. I know Rosenhaus okay. was had been JJ's guy. So hmm. okay, um, for since for for the last couple of years. So so it's, maybe
3: he's just lining it up for next year when he's a first round pick. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, you know, are there, are there teams that are trying to come after Michigan's dude? Sure. But I, mm-hmm. I think that they'll be, f- if Jim stays, there's no question. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think the question uh, for them would be, if Jim goes, who's it going to be? Cause they are very much riding for Jerome. Like I, I do think that there would be some, um, I think you'd have some guys weighing their options if it was someone other than Sharone, Even if it was someone like Kay- like Kalen DeBoer, mm-hmm. which you know, I, yeah, I think there are a lot of teams that are going to be interested in Kalen DeBoer. And he has not signed his extension yet.
3: Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. is no, it, it's obvious DeBoer's. I, I mean, it seems obvious to me. DeBoer's looking around.
1: Yeah, or he's uh, he's leaving his options open. Right, yeah,
3: that's what I mean so to
1: speak. So, uh, but I mean for for Michigan. Uh, you got to do whatever you can to maintain this culture. Um, I, I get if they would, you know, feel the need to kind of have an actual search. I, I understand it, uh, but the premium has to be on what 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 Jim has built is so unique in this era that you got to do whatever you can to maintain it. And if, if he wants to follow his NFL dreams, there are still ways in which you can maintain that. And they got to they got to do whatever they can to. To go along that path, at least in my opinion, and I think Mason. First so of Mason specifically, mm-hmm. I think if Jim left and 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 Sharon was the coach, I think Mason would be here. Okay, even if Drew Rose House is his is the agent.
0: Yeah, I mean that's okay. this is the reality of the of the game right now. That the NCAA is set up that they're not going to investigate anybody who's tampering. All right, right now, but so. until
2: someone who's actually a starter here decides to transfer, I don't think we should be speculating about yeah. it because it's never happened. Yeah. Like no nope, and this back doesn't really happen. In 20 seconds. Other yeah. programs either. Like starters mm-hmm. aren't leaving.
1: I will tell you this though. Talk, talk I talk I talked to a lot of the people down there and they they're kind of thinking about the future, not to the point where it was a distraction. But yeah, it's like, hey, we want Sharon. Was kind of their mm-hmm. kind of their deal. And if it's not Jerome,
3: guys, it's coming back on. on radio. And we, we are
1: back on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk ten fifty WTKA online at WTK.com Sam Webb. Ira Weintraub on the other side, and we have the MGo Blog Roundtable crew. I Want to take a moment uh, as we're passing out flowers to to different people. We talked about the defense. Uh, the uh, KG and Mason Graham were phenomenal in this game. When didn't the right tackle? Their right tackle seemed like he was holding all the time. It didn't matter who <laughs> up against him, yeah, yeah. he was getting it done. Will Johnson's making big plays in every game. Two guys I want to talk about. Two of the the um, leaders of this team. I said, Mikey St. is an all-time great, guys. Mikey St. is an all-time great. So, Craig, you gave credit to mm-hmm. to Brian. I got to – every time I do this and I did it on, on camera, I got to give credit to Steve Klinkscale. Steve Klinkscale, before the 22 season, said, we are not going to have a drop-off at nickel. Yeah. And I said, Klink, this is not an interview. You don't have to, you know, gas – I, I'll, come on, man. You coming off Dax Hill? He said we are not gonna have a drop off at nickel. So I can see him up in spring ball that dude. You know, maybe as a is a you know how he was as a blitzer and how physical he was. You know, obviously Dax is is otherworldly in that regard. But I mean, this dude is smart. He can cover slots as a man to man cover guy. I can make a case for you that he might be better as a man cover guy. I'm like, come on, Clink. Right, <laughs> Steve Klinkscale was right. He called it and Mikey Sainristil is an all-time great at this university.
3: I, I 100% agree. I think he's one of he he he's iconic. He's one of the great Michigan players of all time. Uh you know, he's for me, he's there. I mean, we were talking about the 48 team. There were two in particular on the 48 team that I think jump out. One is Len Ford, who mm-hmm. rarely gets mentioned, but he's in the, I believe the Pro and College Football Hall of Fames. And, uh, I saw him play cause he played with the Cleveland Browns when I, when I was young and, uh, he was unbelievable and it's, it's always a mystery to me and how little mention he gets. And the other was the youngest Wistert, I think played, you know, played on those teams in 48. And, and was also and the middle the, brother
0: and he was already 30 was middle, years old when he joined that. Team. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But I believe he's also in the Pro and College Football Hall of Fame. So that forty-eight team it, it, it should not be uh, ignored. But the but yeah, Mike still, uh you can't say enough good uh, about what he did this year and how important he's been, both sort of psychologically and in his uh, emotionally and 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 in his level of play. He, so he it's representing this right. team so much mm-hmm. that well, know, there's
2: certain guys on this team where it's just like that's his number, like. The, over the past three years, like 97 is Aiden Hutchinson's number. Anyone uh-huh. who wears 97 is wearing his number. And uh-huh. Sainer still has got the easiest task of anybody because he's wearing zero, and you couldn't wear zero until like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But anyone from now on who's wearing zero is wearing Mike Sainer number. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I agree. I agree. agree. Big time. Um JJ McCarthy. Uh, you talk about manifesting your destiny, speaking something into existence. I mean, that dude uh, and the kind of leader he is. I just said, you know, talking to all these national people and they, and how like they kept talking about him like he was just this regular dude, and, and really looking at the last few games of the season as being indicative. One guy even said he's more of a game manager than than some of the other quarterbacks. Like, man, come on, Michigan runs the football. You put him in a different office; he's putting up the same kind of numbers. But really, his leadership, guys. I want you to kind of touch on this because someone asked in the chat. They said, "What was his injury?" Jacob Phillips said, "Now the season over. What was JJ's injury?" So, Kirk Campbell actually talked about. It. He didn't talk about the exact injury, but he talked about what, where, what extremity was injured. He said, "Man, he couldn't put weight on his front leg." Could not put weight on his front leg. So he obviously hurt something in his leg so bad. And I remember hearing about it. He's like, I'm, you know, you'll get it checked out, but I'm playing. And he did. And Kirk said, man, he gets in that Maryland game. And it's like, how is he doing it? He's crying at halftime. He's in so much pain. So this is why we are seeing, you know, why are they doing more play pass and that kind of thing. They, he said we had to call have a game plan where we're putting him on the move. Maybe he isn't putting weight. He's more off-platform throws. Put that in the equation more because he can't physically do it. And that guy stayed on the field, continued to lead this team. He stayed committed to Michigan, even when they're getting drilled during the COVID year and said, Come with me. You know, and after that, Donovan commits. After that, Will Johnson commits. The leadership, the number nine has provided for this program. I think that's iconic as well.
0: And you yeah, no. Get to see the leadership. Like right? we're film guys, right? We're not usually seeing what leadership looks like, but this guy would—he be out there before every single game, meditating under the goalpost, and that—I mean, it wasn't just for him. That was all of us. That 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 just that calmed us all down. That that got us all centered. And I mean, you talk about the mental toughness that it takes to go through a football season, and and. To have your coaches getting attacked by the NCAA and Big Ten, and and have to go through, have to lead this team and create what all everything everyone around is going through, and just survive in that maelstrom. Um, I I don't think I've ever seen a more iconic image of how to do that than JJ under the goalpost. And, you know, we started the season, Brian wrote about, you know, under the banyan tree and like how that was, that's the vibe of this team. And, you know, you talk about the the pain that he physically is going through and the the pain that these guys go through mentally to get through all of this. And Donovan Edwards having to sit and watch other guys score touchdowns. And, you know, I go back to that moment where later in the game, we do get Donovan a touchdown. And JJ is right out there, and Corm's right out there to congratulate him. And like this team was that. This team was just so centered. This team just had so understood what was important and what wasn't. And you know, JJ is the is the center of the maelstrom. Like I, you could, the whole team is captains. Every single guy in this team is a captain. But when you look at like, mm. well, that's, that's do it I mean, him.
2: there are a bunch of michigan named a bunch of captains and then what did they do in the portal is they recruited a bunch more captains yeah (laughs) like so that's not like like that's obviously an exaggeration but insofar as it can be the truth it is as close to the truth as possible yeah because josh wallace was a captain you know aj barner was a captain aj barner was a captain as a true junior you know the, the the guys that they went out and got weren't you know, wash out five stars from Georgia and Alabama. They were established college players who were the best dudes on whichever team they happened to be on. And that's a philosophy that I think really paid off. And I think it's a philosophy that will serve Michigan going forward.
3: Yeah. I mean, they, we, we've mentioned it before. They took, I believe nine guys out of the portal last year and, and really they hit on nine out of nine. I mean in in terms of meeting meeting the, the needs of this team. I mean they didn't have a whiff or anything close to it. And that's really spectacular in terms of figuring out who we need and and, and who can fit in on this team. In terms of JJ, you know, there's uh uh there was the one one of the key plays in the game was his scramble from deep in Michigan territory. And that was a remarkable. That was a remarkable play, and and his speed w- is, is unbelievable. Because I think it was a a, a, a corner who came up on him. He just runs by him. The, gu- the guy just m- misevaluated how fast JJ is. And then the very next play, I think they ran a, a designed power sweeper I don't uh you guys can tell me what it was with JJ for another 13 or 14 yards and that was it he didn't run again I don't believe in the game but uh yeah he he's a talented runner but that was limited by his physical condition and the, and they chose and they chose uh, their spots with him but when he did run it was very very effective
1: and that was one of the the educational uh mm-hmm. moments because I kept wondering why they call him more play passes late in the season Mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was gorgeous he's like man there, there are things that happened he said at the end of the I think it was a twist you know Denard had a ulnar, something he had I don't know what the injury was he said he couldn't throw a pass he like literally couldn't throw a pass and as much as it would have explained to everyone why he wouldn't have Denard throw passes you couldn't say it so they couldn't say obviously mm-hmm. JJ is too hurt not just not just to not run the ball he's too hurt for some of the passes that we normally have in our arsenal, which is, uh, they did a great job. They they did a great job all the way around. This coaching staff has been phenomenal. Uh, we talked a lot about Jesse Minter. Before that, we talked a lot about Sherron Moore from top to bottom. This has been, to me, uh, when when you write the, the story of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, and after the 2020 season, what changed? because like, he had always made good hires I think what he the the key difference is he went and found the guys a staff full of guys that can all can do it all they weren't just you didn't have a, a guy who was just a great coach who couldn't recruit or who was just a great recruiter who couldn't coach or maybe he could maybe he could coach some and recruit somebody he couldn't really scout he went and got a staff that had mostly those things and then this year when you throw Chris Partridge in the mix it was the whole staff. Was like that. That is, that's a guy who's already really, really good. Taking it to a, an entirely different level. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, that that 2020 um, sort of epiphany, if you will, uh, I think is something that will go down in history. At least it should, as the the, the turning point for Michigan.
0: I mean, you know, we're we're now transitioning to. 2024. We're all, we're going to hold on a little bit longer. We're going to have a parade on Saturday. And, you know, the kind of question is like, what happens next? And like, is this a, was this a peak? Was this a coming together? Or did everyone just get here together at the same time? Or is this something that we get to, is this what Michigan is now? And, you know, that's going to be a lot of personal decisions that go into that. And that's going to go into like, you know, a lot of opportunities that people are offered. That's going to go into that. But if there is a question of whether anyone's going to appreciate a team of Steve, Steve Iserman's more than these fans. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, just look at us right now. I mean, it's, we're having a hard time not tearing up about these guys. This fan base, this school, will appreciate these guys more than anyone else. I don't know if we can always show it financially, but the amount of love that people have for this team – and Because people need to know, this, this fan base, and this is why MCO blog can exist, this fan base needs to know what happened. Not just, you know, tell me what I want to hear. I need to know what happened. And what happened this year was one of the greatest seasons a sports team has ever been through. And I'm so proud, I'm so, I'm so lucky to have been a part of it. And if you guys want to keep this going, we'll keep doing it right along with you.
1: Yeah, I think he said it really well there, though, Brian. You got some personal decisions uh, the guys are gonna have to make, and you know what? I, I personal decisions are exactly that—they're they're personal, and you want everyone to stay. I love it if they stay, but I get why they want to. I get why they want to explore it. Why they want to look at it. Jim in particular? I, I understand. You know, he has parallel dreams. I still think that. You know, Michigan has a, a it's going to be tough to to pull him away from Michigan, despite what everyone says. But I understand why
3: he wants to play it out. Well, sure. He wants to win a Super Bowl. I mean, I mean, he's won an NCAA championship uh, and who can blame him for that? And well, let's uh, just
2: tell him but, it's a Super Bowl. Like that. Not- <laughs> next one will be the Super Bowl. We've already won the National <laughs> Championship
3: Tim. And then we get to play, you know, whoever won the Super Bowl. Right. And that actually happened in nineteen thirty or thirty one, but we we'll won't talk about it on I mean, the show. I've been around I I I I you know, we're we're
0: NFL fans too, and you know, I I, I don't know if I, I don't know if if teams if fans of Super Bowl winning teams can feel what you feel because the players who come to Michigan when in college football it's a validation of yourself because they choose to be here these guys all had recruited all the coaches had you know to get recruited to come here all these players had to choose Michigan at some point and it's just a a validation of your fandom that everyone on your team wants to be there just like you want to be this 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 program so it's I, I, this is the pinnacle. I don't know. I, I, I'm I, sure to Jim Harbaugh, he's been in the NFL and he can feel differently, but I'm never going to feel differently. This is the, pinnacle. Yeah,
1: as, as, as the feeling goes, I know, I think he knows he'll never get the, the fans will never appreciate NFL team like they appreciate. This is on a different level, but I, if it's, if he gets to the NFL, it'll be about his desire for a Super Bowl. That'll be be the the
0: greatest coach who ever lived, and a couple a couple options just retired today. So,
1: (laughs) so at any rate, fellas, this has been a fantastic ride, and you guys helped make it be fantastic week every uh, week after week. So I appreciate that about you guys. And now next week we shift gears and we we start talking more basketball. How about that, Brian? (laughs) Uh...
0: (laughs) You mean we're going to talk about twenty twenty four Michigan football? (laughs) Right. <laughs> right.
1: Nothing can bring us down. Right. Right.
2: Well, well, we got, we got, we got to talk about the transfer portal. We got to <laughs> talk about the outlook for 2024. 2024. There's going to be guys coming and going. We got NFL draft departures. Yeah. You know, Nick Saban just retired. That's going to shake up the fundament of college football. Looks like Dan Lanning's going to be leaving Oregon. I, I think we might get to talking about basketball. In the year 3000.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, we got to get out of here, folks. We'll see you tomorrow on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050.
1: WTK, the ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor Accumulus Nation.
3: It could be brutal tonight. Yeah, With, yeah. with no point.